I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Norman. I'm joined this week by James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. There is no Jerry McCauley this week. He is on his holidays. Uh, so there is no quiz because it's unfair to do it about him. Also, there is no news this week because nothing has happened at all in the world of film in the last seven days. <laughs> no, Nothing actually, one small thing, one very tiny thing, really quickly. Um, at the annual Star Trek convention, they uh, decided that Star Trek Into Darkness was the worst Star Trek film of all time. Who, decide, who decided that? Uh, the the Star Trek convention, the the Star Trek fans, the yeah. sweaty nerds. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> Having watched nine of the other Star Trek films since yeah. Star Trek Into Darkness, I can tell you they're wrong. There are yeah. far, far, far worse films in the Star Trek canon than Into Darkness. Yeah. Apparently even Galaxy Quest randomly got onto the ballot and got put above it, which I agree with. I think Galaxy Quest is a great film. Galaxy but that... Quest is good fun, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's literally all there has been for, for news. There's nothing of any interest going on. So, essentially, we're going to go straight into what we've been watching then. Not even going to have a yes. break, just going to go straight into it. Yeah. And James is going to kick us off. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, I've had a... I've had a renaissance in my film watching this week. I've watched a load of films. I've been to the cinema loads. It's been brilliant. Uh, I had a bit of a documentary binge. Um, and I'm going to talk about two documentaries, but I do very, very quickly want to mention Corman's World, which is a documentary about the work of Roger Corman. Is Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Norman. I'm joined this week by James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. There is no Jerry McCauley this week. He is on his holidays. Uh, so there is no quiz because it's unfair to do it about him. Also, there is no news this week because nothing has happened at all in the world of film in the last seven days. <laughs> no, Nothing actually, one small thing, one very tiny thing, really quickly. Um, at the annual Star Trek convention, they uh, decided that Star Trek Into Darkness was the worst Star Trek film of all time. Who, decide, who decided that? Uh, the the Star Trek convention, the the Star Trek fans, the yeah. sweaty nerds. Yeah, <laughs> no. 
having watched nine of the other Star Trek films since yeah. Star Trek Into Darkness, I can tell you they're wrong. There are yeah. far, far, far worse films in the Star Trek canon than Into Darkness. Yeah. Apparently even Galaxy Quest randomly got onto the ballot and got put above it, which I agree with. I think Galaxy Quest is a great film. Galaxy but that... Quest is good fun, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's literally all there has been for, for news. There's nothing of any interest going on. So, essentially, we're going to go straight into what we've been watching then. Not even going to have a yes. break. Just going to go straight into it. Yeah. And James is going to kick us off. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, I've had a... I've had a renaissance in my film watching this week. I've watched a load of films. I've been to the cinema loads. It's been brilliant. Uh, I had a bit of a documentary binge. Um, and I'm going to talk about two documentaries, but I do very, very quickly want to mention Corman's World, which is a documentary about the work of Roger Corman, is absolutely fantastic, and in another week I probably would have spoken about it for ages. Um, but anyone who's interested in the work of a, a genius B-movie producer, man who's um, produced over 400 films in his career uh, and is still going, making um, dinosaur uh, Sharkosaurus or something <laughs> sci-fi recently um, but yeah brilliant brilliant documentary with loads of great uh, anecdotes from people like Jack Nicholson Martin Scorsese and you realise how many people he gave a start to Martin Scorsese directed his first film under him uh, Ron Howard directed his first film under him people are that's incredible but um, two documentaries I want to quickly talk about the first one uh, was recommended to me by one of our listeners, uh, one of our loyal listeners on Twitter, at Duke. And it's his favourite film of the year so far. We were comparing lists, and it's called The Punk Syndrome. And I've um, I finally found it. It's available on video on demand via a company called Distrify, uh, online company. And I'll put a link on the website to it. Uh, very, very briefly, it's a cinema verite documentary. So it's footage edited together without interviews, titles, or narration, that kind of thing. Um, about a Finnish punk band by the name of Perti Kurikar's Name Day. The interesting thing about this band is that all four members are learning disabled, uh, living with autism or Down syndrome. And the great thing, the uh, thing I loved about the style of this film, there's, there's, well, you've got no patronising narration or an interviewer talking about their bravery or, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's, n- it's not saying, oh, look at, look at these people, oh, look at these lovely little fellas just making a punk band, oh, bless them. It's not at all like that. Um, it just lets them talk about their lives and shows them doing what they do. It's the chronicle of a punk band who are, singing about their opinions and the challenges they face uh not getting served coffee because of their disability the house uh the shared house that they live in hating that and in one of the brilliantly hilarious scenes in it uh a completely improvised song about not wanting to visit the pedicurist um and you just watch a scene and it's just it's absolutely brilliant and it reminds me of um, Anvil, uh, one of the great rock documentaries of recent times, and at times a little bit of Spinal Tap as well, but you're not laughing at them. Um, you're laughing with them. They're having fun. And they're just they're just fun people to be around for a start. And But it also does actually make you think about the challenges that they might face. And like I say, not in a patronising way, but in a they just want to play their music and get on with their lives. And they do have to go through some shit to do that and it's it's unfortunate but then you'll see g- 
gigs. Um, there's footage of these gigs, like playing in real toilet venues with about 20 people watching them. But those 20 people are just really getting into the music, and you get quite a lot of their music, which I, I've heard bands a lot worse um, <laughs> than uh, Perty Kurikar's Name Day. Uh, there's some, there's a few decent songs in there actually, and it is a really heartwarming documentary, um, brilliantly just shot, and it's one of those documentaries where. They've just found some interesting subjects and recorded them, and that's made a great documentary, and that that's great. So, uh, you know, thanks again to At Duke for recommending that. What I will say though is, um, I've also seen the best documentary I've seen all year this week, and possibly one of the best films I've seen uh, of the year, and that is a new release called Blackfish. Uh, it's directed by Gabriella uh, Copperthwaite. It's ostensibly a documentary about orcas, um, otherwise known as killer whales, living in captivity. And the focus is on one particular whale that uh, in the last 20 years has killed three people. And this whale's name is Tilikum. Firstly, I, I have to, you know, I want to give a warning here. Anyone thinking of watching this film, it is profoundly disturbing and very upsetting in places. And if you've got any kind of empathy for animals, especially those mistreated in captivity, you will leave this film feeling upset, angry, and physically exhausted. It's it's less than ninety minutes long, but it's it's quite a brutal film uh, in that sense. But what's great about it? It doesn't shy away from celebrating the bond between orcas and trainers. Um, first fifteen minutes or so is testimony of former Sea World tra- trainers who talk about how much they enjoyed their job. It was the best job in the world because they genuinely had uh, a developed a bond with these intelligent and emotionally advanced creatures. Um, got to the point where I went into this film knowing what it was about, but 15 minutes in I was like, oh, I wish I could be a SeaWorld trainer, that looks <laughs> amazing. I'd love to ride orcas. Oh, they look so, you know, and it does draw you in, and then it just hits you. Um, it just switches almost instantly to an expose of the or- orca hunting industry. And some of the vile tactics they use to separate families um, to capture these these whales. Um, one, there's one particular interview which really got to me um, with this grizzled old vet, and he'd seen a few wars, and he said he'd done, you know, he'd done things. He'd killed men, and he'd seen things, you know, he didn't want to see again. And actually, hearing him talk about how the moment that he captured uh, a young adult whale. Um, and the other orcas are lined up outside the net, kind of screaming. Uh, he said that, out of everything he's seen in his life, that was the worst thing he'd seen. That was the thing he most regretted he'd ever been involved with, which is, yeah, it really, really hits you. Uh, the rest of the film looks at particular cases of people being killed or injured by orcas, uh, the potential reasons for it, and there's a real potent mix of expert testimony and you know eyewitnesses some courtroom drama and elements of corporate greed and dishonesty that keep you hooked all the way. You'll never look at SeaWorld, even if you did look at them in a neutral or positive light, you'll never look at them in the same light after after this film. It, it really, really shocked me, the, the level of lies and deceit and just disregard for people's safety and animals' well-being. Um, yeah, like I say, it's the best documentary I've seen this year. One of the best films I've seen full stop. I, I can't see it not being in my top ten at the end of this year. And it's an important film that needs to be seen by as many people as possible. Changes have to be demanded by the 
people of these entertainment conglomerations. Very interestingly, uh, Pixar announced um, just this week, I think, that the end of Finding Dory has since been cha- has been changed since they've seen Blackfish themselves. So it's it's quite interesting that this documentary is already having that level of change and raising the level of debate there. So I really, really recommend Blackfish. And um, the final film I do want to just very quickly talk about, because I'm genuinely pleasantly surprised. I went to see a preview of We're the Millers, which is out in cinemas this Friday on the 23rd. I thought the trailer for this looked quite promising. So it did, me too, mm. me too, and it, uh, and I'll I'll kind of explain about it. Well, the extended um, trailer, not the little one you're getting on TV. Yeah, not the red band trailer. Yeah, yeah, I thought the red band trailer looked quite good. Um, it's directed by Rawson Marshall Thurber, who directed Dodgeball, um, which I enjoyed. It's from the writers of Wedding Crasher and the classic American sitcom Married with Children. It stars uh, Jason Sudeikis from Saturday Night Live. Who's done a bit the, um, Did you see his um? His skit he done where he was a Tottenham manager. No, I've not seen that. If you haven't seen that, it is brilliant. Just like okay, you have to watch it. I'll get send you the link as soon as we finish. It's brilliant. Awesome. It's hilarious. Okay. Oh, brilliant. Um. Oh, that's good. Um. Because I I liked him in this actually. Uh, Jennifer Aniston, I've always been a big fan of. Uh, Ed Helms is in it. Will Poulter from. Uh, Son of Rambo and Wild Bill, young English actor, he's in it as well. Emma Roberts and Nick Offerman as well. Now, like Steve, I saw the We're the Millers trailer. I saw it about a month ago, I think. And like Steve, you know, do you know what? It was one of those trailers, Steve probably didn't feel this. I felt a little bit ashamed of enjoying it, actually. It made me laugh. I have no shame, so... Yeah, good man. (laughs) Uh, No, I wish I was more like that. It starred some people I liked. But do you know what? About halfway through, my inner critic, that bastard kicked in and told me oh no that looks dreadful do you know what my inner critic is a joyless pretentious dick i i, I genuinely i, I, I thought that was your house are you bastard <laughs> um for those who don't know it's the story of a small-time drug dealer but played by uh Sadikis, who ends up massively in debt to a drug lord played by ed helms and quite a funny cameo has to go to mexico smuggle a huge amount of pot back through the border to wipe his slate clean Obviously, he realises on his own he's guaranteed to be stopped at the border, so he hatches this plan of creating a fake family to join him. So he hires his stripper neighbour, played by Jennifer Aniston, a dorky kid who lives in his building, played by Poulter, and a sassy street kid, might be homeless, not sure, uh, played by Emma Roberts. And yeah, I really genuinely found this quite funny. I'd say it's my favourite Hollywood comedy since 21 Jump Street last year, which also surprised me in this sense. Are you, inc- are you including this is this is the ending? I am actually. I am. Yeah. All right. I, I that's, think, a, that's interesting. I think I, yeah, I genuinely, and I'll, I'll explain why I think. Um, first up, and I've uh, already said this on Twitter. I've kind of claimed this is my uh, this is my description of it. Anyone else steals this, so I'm coming after you. Um, I, I would describe it as a national lampoon's vacation. For whichever generation this is, are we the Twitter generation? Are we the Facebook? I know we're not the MTV generation anymore, but you know, basically, whichever generation we are, it 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 really reminded me of the National Lampoon's Vacation films with Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo. Um, it's it's funny, it's rude. Um, you know, there's some there's some dirty jokes in there and some kind of off colour humour and things like that. But it's also got quite a large heart and a rather sweet centre. It's got something to say about family 
And that's an increasingly rare thing. And I, I genuinely found it to be quite a sweet film, in spite of the fact that Jennifer Aniston strips down to her underwear at times. Um, someone's the winner in anyone's book. Well, yeah, and do you know what? I, 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 I was thinking, oh, can I even say, do you know what? Jennifer Aniston still looks fantastic for her age. Um, but I, then I remembered that I'm pretty sure I waxed lyrical about um, how much I fan, how much I thought that. Uh, Fassbender looked great in shame. So I'm equal opportunities. Um, Jennifer Aniston looked fantastic. In this, but she's always been a really good comic actress. And she car- I, I really like it in Office Space, uh, for example. And she has done, she's done some terrible films over the years. Um, the Good Girl's another film. I really like her. I think she's a genuinely really good actress. So Dicus, great. He steps into leading man uh, status quite admirably, I think. Um what I will say is uh, Nick Offerman steals the show for me, though, as the family of another uh, father of another family taking the trip as well. Anyone who's seen him as Ron Swanson mm. in Parks and Recreation will know that he is awesome. He doesn't play too far off of being Ron Swanson in this, but I don't care because it meant I got to see Ron Swanson essentially in a film. You know? um, he's really good. Yeah, it's a little derivative at times. There's some broad testicular-based humour uh, in places. The plot's pretty paper-thin, to be honest, but it made me laugh. I left with a smile on my face, and I can't really say fairer than that. It's not going to be in my top ten of the year at the end of the year, but it it was a good, enjoyable comedy that kept below the one hour forty five time as well. So another bonus there. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, before we move on to to someone else's films, I'll just go back to Orca related film news. Yes. Uh, August Shellam. It's not a Free Willy remake, remake is that? No, no, oh. but it is Free Willy related. August Shellenberg, okay. who played Randolph in the Free Willy films, passed away this week. Really? Yeah. yeah. How old was he? He must have been fairly young. He was. He was like the old Indian guy. He was seventy-seven. Oh, okay. He was seventy-seven. Okay. Expecting us oh. to remember the name of the main character in Bloody Free Willy, Randolph. Oh yeah, Randolph must be the. Yeah, guy, not the old Indian guy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even remember. A lot of people, a lot of joy when they were younger. And I just thought it was worth mentioning as we're already but part you know of what? the subject of orcas in films. Yeah, no, okay. no, that's right, no, Steve. Do you know what? I feel bad that we didn't kind of like have a little tribute. You know what? Can... Now you're having a problem at me. That whale was long dead now, so there you go. <laughs> Probably was if it was in captivity. Yeah. I just don't think I could bring myself to watch that film. I know that you said more people should, but I'm pussying out of that one, I think. it's a re- The thing is, it's a really, really well-made documentary, and you do get to see some wonderful footage of Orcas as well, but I, I, I wouldn't blame people for not watching it, um, Yeah, especially those where it would be a sense, I suppose, of preaching to the converted. Uh, they already think that SeaWorld are evil, and mm. why would they want to... But it it's it is a brilliantly well made um, documentary, and sometimes I, I sometimes I need to kind of pick at that wound, and you know it, that's why I watch Question Time when there's right wing bigots on there. I some, I just need to make myself watch it and get angry, and that's kind of what I did with Blackfish. But yeah, it's 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 a genuinely brilliant documentary. Um, and, and yeah, I, yeah, I'd I just want pro- more people to watch it. I'd probably prefer to watch it to. The other film, We Are the Millers, or whatever it's called. That trailer yeah. just looks just oh, looks awful to me. But maybe Owen's pretentious. In pretentious a <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Owen, have you seen the, the, the cinema trailer or just a trailer that's on TV? 
cinema trailer twice. Uh, when he starts did, singing did the, you... um, that waterfall song. Waterfalls, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, out of interest, did you grow up enjoying the National Lampoon's Vacation films? No. Okay, well, then, yeah, you that'll won't like it. Then. Yeah, that'll explain everything. <laughs> <laughs> More than right. just my taste of films, yeah. yeah. Someone else is going to talk now, and it's going to be me. Whoa. Whoa. I have tried in my endless quest, it seems at the moment, to scare myself this week. And I haven't managed it, I'll be honest. Still? Uh. <laughs> no, I watched three films. One I'd seen before, The Descent. Um, I watched it with a girl. I didn't see much of the film. So, but I've seen it before. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> you dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... I'd throw that into the podcast. Not that I'm bragging, of course. That's a nice uh, film to be uh, making out to. It's like um, Jerry and Seinfeld with Schindler's List. She had a limited collection. It was pretty much that of Lord of the Rings. And that's three hours long. I just haven't got that much time. You're not that <laughs> no, no, I can't. I just, I'm not as young as I used to be. And even then, I probably would have struggled. <laughs> so, You'd be all over by, before they left Hobbiton, wouldn't you? Let's be honest. I wouldn't have got out of the Shire, no. <laughs> It would have been all over by that firework display. <laughs> quite, quite aptly as well. Uh, anyway, but I did watch, on my own, both The Possession and Dark Skies. Okay. Neither had quite the desired effect on me. Um, Dark Skies got close to Possession. I think Owen spoke about it before on here. Uh, it's based on the kind of true story of this Dibbuk's box, which is meant to be some haunted... Um, possessed Jewish relic um, that somebody somebody buys at a yard sale and just fell a bit flat. I mean, there's a few moments that made you jump, mm. but it just seemed like the girl who got possessed was going for a bit of a goth phase to me. <laughs> and, yeah, and just... it, it definitely comes across that way. Um, what's the Jeffrey Dean Morgan? He's brilliant in it, though. I think as the as the dad. Yeah, he he was very good, but I just don't think the film. That kind of film, I want me want to creep me out, make me feel uneasy, and have a few jumps. I had the few jumps. Yeah. I didn't have a lot else. No, no, I, I would agree with that. I thought it was it was a bit jumpy in places. Yeah. But yeah, you, you're spot on. It, it, it's it, it's all right. It's just not that scary overall. I mean, a lot a lot, a lot of films can make you jump because something unexpected happens. Some monster jumps out from around the corner. You're gonna jump, but it doesn't yeah. make you feel like it doesn't. Think, it doesn't make the film scary, does it? No, I think I think I've said this to Owen before. I'm trying to think, find a film that makes me not be able to sleep like Paranormal Activity did. Yeah, mm. and, I, and I'm struggling to do that at the moment. Um, you haven't seen yeah, The Conjuring I, I yet, said, though, have you? Yeah, I was going to say what we said last week. Find time to watch The Conjuring. It's, yeah. it's the best horror film I've seen in years. And the other the other um, film I watched, Dark Skies. They seem to, Hollywood seem to be trying to do ghost stories with aliens now quite a bit. I mean, we've mm. had The Fourth Kind and a few other films like that. Um, there's one that I watched on Sky that I did watch while I, while after I came in and I was quite drunk, but it did have the same effect as Paranormal Activity. I can't remember the name of it for life for me. It was one of these found footage ones where sort of a family got abducted by aliens during sort of like, um, a family gathering. And it, Quite uh, fire in, no, not fire in the sky. That's not. That's not. The, uh, no, that's uh, what. Um, abduction in something county. Is that? Is that what it's called? I can't remember. I can't remember the name of it for the life of me. It's, I'm yeah. sure it's the something tapes. But I might be. Uh, but anyway. Right. Okay. 
But anyway, this film was um, Dark Skies, um, and it's about a family that um, are being pestered, harassed by aliens, and um, one of the children becomes abducted. That was that was more creepy than the possession. Um, I found the, the fact, you know, the aliens not seeing them for quite a while, but knowing they were there quite creepy. Definitely had more of an effect than the possession did. Um, the end, I think the end killed it for me, though. Without yeah, giving it, too much away to people who haven't seen it, I think the end kind of killed any anything that it built up. The end just kind of knocked it on the head. Mm. That's fair that tends to be the problem with most modern horror films, in my experience. I think. It, okay, not most. No, that's uh, Most of the ones I've seen. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying they're all yeah. like that. Maybe I'm just picking bad ones. Like Sinister, for example, last year, I really enjoyed up until about halfway through, and that just fell to bits for me. And you said last week that Insidious was a little bit like that as well. Yeah, it just got. To is, the point is, where it went silly. Is there a problem where it, it, is that? A kind of is that a trend or yeah, am I, I being mean, a little that, bit unfair? That's, I think that's fair with most horror films. Most of it is 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 towards making it in you know the atmosphere quite jumpy and uh, particularly modern horrors that aren't slashers. You know they're all about trying to have this spooky atmosphere to them, and then they don't really have a way to end the film in a, any mm. convincing well, I manner. I suppose, so I suppose as well the problem is. How do they end it? They can go three ways. They can go set it up for a sequel, happy ending, or you know, miserable, dark, yeah. horrible ending. And it's trying to find the right balance and then with the tone of the whole film overall. Yeah, that's right. I will want to say the, the the biggest positive in Dark Skies though is J.K. Simmons' role as the uh, alien expert. He adds a touch of class to that film, I think. Yeah. When they go to yeah, his flat. Yeah, quite an interesting character that, mm. would, um, that could have done with maybe a bit more time on. I would, I would, if they made a spin-off, I would love to see, you know, or a sequel or whatever, just his role, you know, his his history mm. or what he does now and stuff. I think that he was the most interesting thing about that film because the family were a little bit annoying. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. All right, Owen, what have you watched this week then? Um, well, last week I sort of confessed that I'm becoming a bit more of a John Wayne fan, not just for like his westerns, but I've, I've watched quite a few of his films this week. I've had a week off work, so that basically meant I've watched lots of films, especially with the new surround sound system I've got, so I've been just playing with that all the time. Um, but I bought a Blu-ray of the original True Grit from 1969, and um, it's it's brilliant. I think... You know, I've never really been a fan of Westerns. I think that's fair. I've made that point on the podcast quite a few times. I just don't see how they're culturally relevant to anybody anymore. Um, But True Grit has kind of... Well, it it started with Rio Bravo. I watched Rio Bravo Mm. um, a couple of days before it. And um, that made me think, well, maybe, maybe I am wrong. Maybe James is right. Maybe it's something that's wrong with my head and it's not actually a problem with Westerns in general. And then as I've watched a few more John Wayne films um, the turning point or the tipping point I guess was True Grit because it's made me think okay there are there are really good westerns out there and it doesn't matter that it's an old western it's not a spaghetti western it's you know it's not a contemporary western it's not a modern western it's just a standard 
US Marshal going into the uh, Indian Territory, as they call it, um, to find a man who murdered the father of this girl and bring him to justice. It's a Western in every every sense, and it is brilliant. It is just fantastic. I think John Wayne plays um, plays Rooster Cogburn just fantastically well. He's utterly believable as this tough, um, notoriously tough US Marshal. Um, he's a bit of a drunkard, and he, he has to be coerced into helping uh, the young girl in the story, who I'll come on to in a minute anyway. But he he's just fantastic in this film. Probably the best performance from him I've seen. I know he ends up later in his career anyway, this is one of his later films, where he ends up just playing various incarnations of his John Wayne character, you know. I don't think mm. that's necessarily a bad thing. I think for some you know, for some um, actors, you take Tom Cruise, he just basically plays different versions of Tom Cruise in films now. It's happened yeah. to lots of other actors. They've got a, 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 a system that works and they stick with it and it's fine because I quite... Quite often it's... Sorry, Owen. Quite yeah, often it's the, real, um, it's the real movie stars that are like that, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, Harrison Ford's and, uh, yeah, like you say, Tom Cruise is another one. And, uh, um, Arnie, you know. Arnie, Bruce Willis to an extent as well. Yeah. Um, it, and the fact is that the reason it happens is because people go and see that people person like and exactly. the money men go, right, well, we'll make another film, but I want you to be like that. Yeah. because I want people to come and see it. And do you know what? If charisma can get you so far, uh, mm-hmm. and John Wayne is a very charismatic actor. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And uh, like I say, this is the best thing I've seen him in, and the best that wow. he's been in anything I've seen him in. And I've seen, you know, I do like some John Wayne films. The Searchers is good. Um, as I mentioned, Rio Bravo, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, he's, he's brilliant in as well. But this is this is the, the turning point for me now. I've I've actually started to watch some more John Wayne films that I haven't seen before, as well as rewatching some of those I've written off initially, like Stagecoach and stuff. So, I was going to say, have you seen Stagecoach yet? Yeah, Are you I was, planning to. I've oh, seen yeah. it. I watched it uh, yesterday before I went to see. Yeah. Um, okay. I also watched The Conqueror, which is absolutely his worst film. Um, right. John Wayne as Genghis Khan is a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, but yeah, as a stagecoach, I didn't like it much the first time. I, mean, I found it a little bit boring. I didn't really get what the fuss was about. It looked quite good for an old western, mm. but it was John Ford, so you know you kind of expect that with him. Yeah. Um, but I rewatched it again, and it's better than I remembered it. But I'm yeah. still not convinced that's the best western I've seen. Um, but anyway, yeah. Oh no, certainly not my favourite. But no, yeah. it, it it's one of those seminal ones that influenced others and kind of made other things possible. Yeah, yeah. that's right. But one thing that was like completely took me by surprise with True Grit, uh, which I was not expecting at all, was the um, Kim Darby plays um, the young girl in it. Who's this? She's her father's been murdered. She goes to the U.S. Marshal, which is uh, Rooster Cogburn. Um, to get justice, and she is just a fantastic female character. Probably the most well-written female character I think I've seen in any Western. She's not at all, um, you know, falling over any men. She's uh, she doesn't get pushed around. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't wear skirts and has to work in the hotel and, you know, all that kind of typical stereotypical mm-hmm. female character. She's just a, she's stubborn. Um, she might be slightly naive, I think, but she's she's also really honest and really strong-willed, and she gets what she wants in the end without being, um, you know, without nefarious means. She just she's just really strong character, um, 
And it, a thought occurred to me that whilst I was watching it, that if I, if I ever had a daughter, that's exactly the kind of character I'd want her to see in films. Never mind the fact it's a, you know, it's a film from about 50 years ago. Mm. Forget that. It, 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 she's just a fantastic female, um, iconic character, I think. Um, and it's a shame that it stands out 50 years after it's released as, as being that, because um, you don't really see characters like her, never mind back then, but still even now, I think. For such a young mm. girl, she's yeah, she's she's a really um, well-written character. Um, but yeah, I I have seen so yeah, I really like the original. I've not seen the Coen Brothers remake yet, but I think Steve mentioned earlier um, before we started recording that he'd seen it. So yeah, the, I, the, I, 2000, the 2010 one with um, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I mean, one of the things about True Grit was that it was quite dark, but it's still very much a PG film. What's the remake like? Do they just add lots of violence to it? Um, I can't. It's been a while since I've seen it. It's been a while since I've seen it. I remember it being it's starting quite slowly, but by the end of it, I thought it was an excellent film. Um, it was. I can't remember what you know um, rating it was, mm. but it, it, it does. It was more violent than a PG. Um, yeah. Like you say, the, the girl in it is a strongly written and well written character. Uh, the Jeff Bridges character is also very good, but I can't. It's been a little couple of years since I've seen it, sure. but I do remember it being very, very good. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it now. Actually, I'm gonna. Um, I'll probably end up reviewing it when I actually watch it. I've got it on order from Amazon, so as soon as it comes through, I'll I'll be watching that because um, I really enjoyed it. But also, I haven't seen that many Coen Brothers films anyway. I watched a couple this week. I watched um, uh, Raising Arizona, which I mentioned on Twitter. I was really disappointed by. I didn't Guess think out. it was. <laughs> I just didn't think <laughs> it was funny. I th- that was the main criticism was that I just found it a bit too slapstick sometimes. Um, just people walking into door frames or getting hurt by different things, and th- even the characters in it really annoyed me. But I'm not going to go on about it too much because I know that you liked it, James. So I'll be a bit um, courteous and <laughs> move swiftly onto the Coen Brothers film that I did watch this week that I really really liked which was The Big Lebowski I've n- is that the first time you've seen the it? the first time I've seen it oh, okay um, it's it's brilliant um, I, the, the site that I use to record film reviews letterboxd.com um, recently voted it into the top five of its films of the 90s I don't know if it's quite as good as things like Pulp Fiction or um, Goodfellas or anything like that, but it, it's definitely one of the funniest films um, of the decade, I think. Um, yeah, it, it, it's really, really funny. Jeff uh, Jeff Lebowski, the basic plot is that Jeff Lebowski is also called um, the dude, referred to as the dude, or his dudeness, or uh, Duda, or El Duderino. <laughs> He's uh, played by Jeff Bridges, who's also in True Grit remake. Um, it basically uh, gets mistaken at the very start of the film for another rich man who's, well, he's not rich in this, but he gets mistaken for a rich man by some uh, heavies and they piss on his carpet. They ruin his rug. So he decides he's going to find this rich man from the advice of his friends and he's going to make him buy him a new rug. He thinks it's only fair. Uh, he go, when he finds the other Lebowski who he's been mistaken for, uh, it turns out he's not a very nice or very generous man uh, at all, really. And he ends up getting mixed up in a plot um, to find the big Lebowski's kidnapped wife, and okay, it's a bit, it's a 
simple crime comedy caper uh, at the heart of it, but I think it's re- a really well written comedy. Comedy. Some of the, some of the gags in it are brilliant. Um, and the support cast in it are all good as well. John Goodman is fantastic. Uh, Steve Buscemi's little role this is pretty good, as is Philip Seymour Hoffman and Dave Huddleston and Julianne Moore and John Turturro. They're all, they all provide lots of memorable laughs, I think. Every one of their roles, including the dude who's the sort of central character and how everything's fits around, they all work on screen really well together. Um, it doesn't drag at any point. It's just constantly moving. And, it, yeah, I think it's, it's just a, a great cast, some great characters, and, and just a really, really funny film. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm going to very quickly, very quickly, because I know I've been rambling on for ages now, mention another film I watched this week, which was probably my favourite film that I watched all week, uh, was Adaptation, um, which I've been looking forward to watching for a long time. It's very complicated for me to try and describe. Mm. I'm going to try and do it as simply as I can. Uh, okay, you know Charlie Kaufman, Kaufman the, yeah. he's a screenwriter. He was given the task of adapting uh, a non-fiction book called The Orchid Thief. Uh, which this film has a character called Charlie Kaufman adapting a non-fiction book called The Orchid Thief. So Nick Cage plays Charlie Kaufman adapting the book. Um, He also plays Charlie Kaufman's twin brother called Donald. So you've got two cages for the price of one in this film. Nice. Yeah, okay. Obviously, in real life, Charlie Kaufman doesn't have a twin brother, it's fictional, which is partly where the film goes a little bit weird. So, it, I mean, it starts off quite weird anyway, and it, it's got a very strange premise from the start of it. It, it turned out, I mean, the, the way it came about was that Charlie Kaufman was, he had writer's block, literally had writer's block. Right. So he, dis, he couldn't figure out a way to adapt this non-fiction story about this guy who finds flowers. Um... So he decided to make the film about him adapting the film, uh, adapting the book for a film. And it comes out that you, you, his twin brother basically plays his nagging conscience who's saying, um, you know, well, what you should do is this. And oh, all, the, all the standard techniques for adapting stuff are you put in like uh, you could have a car chase, you have a. Uh, you could have it, make it a thriller and have a detective in it who's you know got a bit of a weird gimmick, or you've got serial killers and stuff. And he's just constantly rebuffing him, saying, you know, it's that's not what you do. He's rejecting all these uh, standard methods. He wants to make this intellectual, intelligent film about flowers, and he's got no idea how to do it. So they're constantly sort of bickering, I suppose. Although Donald mm. is the friendly, uh, easygoing twin. And in the end, what happens is. Um, well, not in the end. I mean, it's part of the plot is that he, as he generally kind of accepts outside advice uh, as Charlie, the film itself starts to mould around the advice that he's been given. So it's it's really, I mean, the, the screenplay, the first thing I did after watching it was I went onto IMDb and checked to make sure that Kaufman got an Oscar for the screenplay for this because it is definitely deserving of it. It did mm. receive it, and I'm so glad because it's just so clever. I've got no idea how someone would even go about attempting to write a script like that. Never mind, you know, turning it into a, a intelligible, 
film that you can understand and follow, and it's quite simple. I mean, it's directed by uh, Spike Jonze, uh, who the only other film of his I've seen is Where the Wild Things Are, which was just crap. I really just thought that was yeah. awful. Um, so I wasn't... Uh, this partly why I ended up... Came, well, I kept putting off that adaptation um, because of the director, but he does just a fantastic job with this. In fact, they all do. Meryl Streep in it as well is is fantastic. Chris Cooper won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for his role. Um, Nick Cage got an, an Oscar nomination for his role as well, and thoroughly deserved because he's is awesome in this, just as the new both as the neurotic Charlie Kaufman, who's you know eaten away by his own paranoia and sense of you know, his lack of confidence and stuff, and as Donald, he's just, he's just great in both roles. Very different roles, both mm. both played really well. I was just really impressed by it, and um, if anyone else has put off watching it for any other reason, um, then don't make the same mistake I did and, and wait ages before doing it. It's it's well worth a watch. It's, it's brilliant. Really can't recommend adaptation enough. Excellent. Mm. I, 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 it's one I really keep meaning to watch because I love um, being John Malkovich. Um, okay. And I also really enjoyed Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind as well. So I, I, I like Charlie Kaufman scripts, mm-hmm. so I have no idea why I haven't watched it yet. And I love Nick Cage. I literally no idea why I've not seen this <laughs> film yet. So yeah. I'm going to rectify that. Yeah, get on it. It's, I'm, actually, I'm positive you would love Adaptation. It's got everything that ticks all the boxes that, from all the yeah. films you've described that I know that you would love. So, yeah. yeah. If, we, if we ever have another competition where, you know, like last year we had the Oscar nominations yeah. and I, I ended up winning and picking. Yeah. Uh, uh, what did I end up picking? God, what did you make us watch? Mary and Max, I think. That's yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> Blimey. Yeah, next year it's going to be adaptation, I think. Yeah. Even if everybody's watched could, it again. Unless you could, oh, right, you're going to make us <laughs> watch it They would all again. rewatch oh, it, so. yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think that wraps up what we've been watching. And next week, I've got our main review of Kick-Ass 2. This week's main review is Kick-Ass 2. Um, I've not seen it. The other two have. Uh, Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl are back fighting crime. Um, this time joined by Jim Carrey. Here is a clip. Go! Go, 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 go! Yeah, so that was uh, Christopher Mintz Plass as oh, uh, the motherfucker. Um, <laughs> no, uh, the, mo- the mother flipper. It's a family podcast. So yeah, oh yeah, it's definitely a family. The, the mother. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, Kickass too. So uh, the what? Well, what do you say about it, Owen? Well, um, after Jerry ranted weeks ago about Jim Carrey's non-involvement in the promotion of the film, are we going to bother with that again? Uh, no, let's not. I'd, okay. All I would say. All I would say about it actually is. Not that I agree with Jim Carrey, but having seen the film, I understand his point a little more now. Um, because what I would, for me, the vi- the level of gun violence in this film was a lot higher 
than my recollections of Kickass. Well, and well, I I don't know about I, that. It was le- okay. Maybe it, it was less cartoonish in play. I, I thought so I thought some of the gun violence in this film was more realistic than Kickass. There's a couple of scenes where people are just getting just completely gunned down. Whereas I. That that's just some that's just something else. There were a few pretty there were a few scenes which were basically people being gunned down in cold blood, and I I don't remember ever getting that feeling from the first film. That the first film always felt a little bit more like a comic book than this film. Yeah, that's true. I, this this film does feel a little bit different, um, but I think it, the Kick-Ass 2, the comic, uh, mm. I didn't read it because I didn't really enjoy Kick-Ass 1, yeah. the comic. Um, the film is brilliant. I really enjoyed the film, but the comic, yeah, yeah I, I wasn't that keen on that, so I didn't bother with the second one. But in that, the, the violence and the swearing, everything is supposed to just have been ramped up to maximum, and it leaves a lot of the story um, uh on the wayside as it is it's yeah. sort of, it just doesn't it's more about the violence so when the, when yeah. they've adapted this film it doesn't really surprise me that it, it's more violent i think it is more violent the gun violence mm. i didn't really notice as being particularly more uh, uh you know worse or heavier than than in the mm. previous i mean the, in 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 the first film the finale to that is just all guns and it's all rockets but your your point about it being more cartoonish or more comic book yeah. like is a is a fair point actually. Um, in this, they do just make it about you know someone shooting another person with a gun, rather yeah. than to making it like a film with a person shooting another person with okay. a gun. Do, do you know what the first one reminded me a little bit? Of the Matrix at times as well, especially kind of like towards that. You know, there was an element. Well, this it was hyper real. Whereas there's a few scenes in Kickass which are people basically. In quite a quiet scene, get point blank shot in the in the face, mm. you know, and it and it's just it just felt a little bit grittier and a little bit nastier. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing on its own. It's just for me, parts of the film were just uh, they were tonally all over the place at times, and sometimes it was it reminded me of the first film, um, and especially. Uh, in a lot of uh, Christopher Mintz Plastic scenes, uh, you know, no longer the Red Mist, uh, in his new super villain persona, that that's where the film worked quite well for me. Um, mm. Was in a lot of his scenes, um, where the film didn't work for me, and I think it's a shame because I think Chloe Grace Moretz as Hit Girl is brilliant in this film. One of the best things about this film, as she was in the previous film, but her kind of teenage angst. Mean Girls subplot was you could tell was written by a middle-aged man. <laughs> it was I it just it just dragged and yeah. I think this is it, for me what what I think this film was missing was Jane Goldman and Matthew Vaughan mm. who knew obviously in Kickass and again I I have read the original Kickass comic and like you I've not bothered to read the second one because it didn't really grab me hugely but I felt that they knew what to cut out of the comic in the first film and Jeff Wadlow who's written and directed this has stuck more faithfully to Mark Miller's work and potentially to its detriment well yeah I mean that's the that's the issue isn't it with the first one 
uh, with the, the comic, the, when the comic was coming out, I was quite excited about it. Mm. Uh, some people just seem to hate Mark Miller just because he, mm. he just makes comic books that will be turned into films eventually anyway. That's yeah. basically why he writes comic books nowadays. Yeah. I haven't got a problem with that. He's, some of them that he writes are, are, are done really well. Kick-Ass was quite exciting. It was The story was going to be what would happen in real life if you had a kid who dressed up in... Um, a superhero costume and went out trying to fight crime and the answer was well he'd get stabbed he would get beaten up by muggers and he would be hospitalized that's the basic premise to the comic as it went on you probably recognize the same thing james if you read it it just got more and more mm. it got more and more silly and ridiculous and it just lost its point oh sorry i went yeah. so I've got, i'm getting some weird and feedback me. there did you hear that steve no. Oh. That's strange. Should I, where should I Okay. Um, just can you remember roughly where you were? Sorry, Owen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just go again. So yeah. in so in the comic it's more um you know, realistic and in, in the film they go down a different way with uh, Well, I suppose the comic it starts off being quite realistic and then it gets just stupid. It just gets ridiculous and it loses the focus of what it's supposed to be about and uh, it ends up just being another comic book about a crime boss and some guy who tries to stop him. The film, it, from the very start, doesn't ever try to portray it as what would happen in real life if this happens. It, from the start, you're aware that this is a film where um, the people are aware that what would happen would be ridiculous and stupid, and mm. they play on it. It, it. It's very self-aware in that sense. Kick-Ass 2 kind of doesn't even bother trying to acknowledge the, the point of the first film, which was people don't dress as superheroes because they get yeah. their asses kicked. In this, it's, oh, yeah, Kick-Ass inspired lots of people to dress as superheroes. No, they actually go around patrolling the streets and everybody loves them. They get high fives as they walk down the street. They get hot dogs from people. No, actually, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not what would happen. And to, to be fair, I don't think there is much of a point to, to Kick-Ass 2 other than to be a bit of a cash-in. And yeah, I, it's no, a decent no, I totally film. agree. It's a decent film. I enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining at times. Some of it annoyed me a little bit, but some of it I thought was really good. Um, but it's pointless. It literally is a pointless sequel. There's, there's nothing yeah. that it does that you think, well, that was worth watching for. No, no. I, yeah, I, I'm sad to agree. It, it did just feel like a... But a lot of people going through the motions, and and I'll be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed. But Jim Carrey's performance was fine, uh, and it was interesting to see him be slightly different. But for me, that both you know, literally and figuratively, the ghost of Nick Cage's Big Daddy hangs mm. large over this film. Um, there's a number of times they literally just you know close up. Sh- uh, still shot on his um, old uniform, which Hit Girl has got in a kind of, you know, down mm. in her shrine. Um, it really missed, for me, something like that. Um, it it felt a bit more teen movie than the last one, which is weird, because the last one was clearly, you know, very uh, a youth-orientated film, but um, it, it it missed that kind of, that spark of magic. Because uh, I love Nick Cage's performance in the first uh, Kick-Ass. It, it's just 
brilliant, bizarre and eccentric yeah. performance. Uh, and I, I do think this film missed something like that. It missed that kind of that that, that heart in a sense as well, because, you know, that that was a, a doting father figure mm. in that first one. And it kind of missed that a little bit. And the, the hit girl and her adoptive dad's relationship, again, that just felt a little bit by numbers. Too much of it felt just convenient script writing rather than any real wit or emotion. Like I say, yeah. I'm a big fan of Matthew Vaughan, a big fan of Jane Goldman's work, and I, I really think this missed them being there. I'm not sure what they would have done different. I don't know what they would have done differently because obviously Matthew Vaughan was still producing it, um, but I can't help thinking it would have been better if they'd been involved. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um, just going back to a point you made as well about it being like a by-the-numbers keen film, it... Don't get me wrong, Hit Girl is the best thing in it again. Um, she's she's a very interesting character. She's always has she always has been an interesting character mm. and um, played brilliantly. I mean, the best performance again. I think in the last film on a par with Nick Cage, but in this Chloe yeah. Grace Moretz, she she just steals it every time she's on screen. Yeah. So even when the the you know the by the numbers coming of age type story mm. in dealing with stuff like um, noticing boys for the first time or you know trying to fit in with a new crowd at a yeah. new school it, it, it is pretty by the numbers but she makes it watchable I think she's good in it yeah no I, I totally agree with you there I thought that I thought she she has a few good lines um, yeah. but she's got a brilliant attitude mm. um, mm-hmm. and yeah it's just everything else around her felt like it was from a US teen sitcom that's that was, right, that yeah. was my problem with it the, but the, no she's brilliant the, the, the problem I had with her character was there was one point in the film I don't think I'm spoiling it by saying this as mm. we've just described it as a by the numbers teen coming of age drama yeah. is when she's confronting her peers and yeah. I think they start off making it out like it's going to be an actually you know quite a quite a lot of thought has been put into this speech that she's making. They're going to make it actually mean something and it's going to have a point. And then, no, it's just toilet humour, actually. Yeah, that really annoyed me. I'm I'm glad you picked up on that as well. There's a weird bit where she just... Well, the bit before that, how she helped out someone by giving them money. Yeah, Um, what what was that about? What what was the message there? And then you've got a scene that basically went, oh, do you remember that scene that everyone loved in Bridesmaids? And it's like, no, I didn't love that scene. I really liked Bridesmaids, and that was by far the worst scene where they're all vomiting and shitting on the toilet. It's the worst bit in Bridesmaids, because it's crap humour. Uh, oh, we're going to do something like that, are we? Oh, that, Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, that, it completely undermines everything that her character's gone through in the film as well. Exactly. No payoff. Nothing. I think that's why I'm so annoyed about that Mean Girls section, is that there wasn't even a payoff for no. it. Um, yeah, so, that, so that that really, and that that really did feel like it was written by a middle-aged man who has no idea how teenage girls have to survive through hell through high school. No, kind of it, thing. it kind of had the the feeling of a man who's never encountered bullying of any kind in any form yeah. at any point in his life, and yeah. just has no idea that you know. Well, you don't. That's not how you tell people how to deal with it. You don't tell them. Yeah. You don't tell your audience that if you're being bullied then all you need to do is pay off someone else and you can just go and do what Hit Girl does. It's just... It's completely... It, and it makes no sense it either. No. It's, it's just and it wasn't really funny. Bad. And it just... Yeah. 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 Although, um, 
that my screening cracked up at that. I, I, really? I, I was at a very full screening. Um, and, yeah. Do you know what? It's one of the worst cinema crowds I've been in all year as well. Yeah, and talking all the way through it. It's just really bad behave, bad cinema etiquette. Yeah. It's the worst behaved um, cinema crowd I've seen all year. And I've been in a few dodgy ones but it was poor it was getting a, it attracted a certain type right. <laughs> I, w- I went on uh, well I went yesterday Monday evening mm. and it was it wasn't uh, empty but, you know there were a few people yeah. in there but it was quieter and I got to sit sort of by myself really so I was, it wasn't yeah. too bad for me but imagine if when did you go to see it was it on a uh, Sunday night a Sunday night yeah so, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah after Blackfish oh right <laughs> wow <laughs> But yeah, so I think we we uh, to me uh, it's pretty oh, to me it's indicative of this whole summer block. But it was <laughs> it was all right, you know, it, it wasn't great. It was, <laughs> it, it was all right. I I yeah. did enjoy it. I mean, I've complained a little bit about it, but I you know I was happy enough watching so, some of the plot developments. You know, forming this cruddy little Justice League type yeah. team in a basement. <laughs> it was quite good. I did. Yeah. I did like Jim Carrey's character. I wanted to see more of him in the film, actually, and more. Yeah. Um, more backstory. He had quite an interesting yeah. story to him. He did. but You didn't really get any of that. I, I, I was just really surprised by how understated he was as well. Actually, I was yeah. expecting a little bit more mania. Uh, I'm not saying. Yeah. You know, I, I quite like what he did. Um, but I was. I don't. I just. I think I wanted a little bit more uh, yeah. in a number of ways, yeah. And I did, I did find the names that the motherfucker was com- uh, the mother flipper, sorry, Steve, the mother yeah. was coming up with, like Mother Russia was, <laughs> a funny yeah. one, and he was told you can't have a motherfucker and a mother Russia on the same team. Just fuck yeah, you, it's the, my team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, he's he's small and he kills. We call him the Tudor. <laughs> yeah. And I was just, yeah, I I think Christopher Mintzplast did did really well actually because his character is pretty one note. Yeah. Um, there's not a huge amount of emotional development or anything yeah. like that going on there. And um, it is the, the best, I'm not going to say it because it will ruin it, but he, he mm. comes up with the best name for a supervillain team I think I've ever heard. Yeah. Of. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And it was kind of almost worth going <laughs> to yeah. just hear that spoken aloud in a scene. But yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And those bits, that's where a lot of the humour came in as well. Yeah. What I will say is Kickass himself Pretty, he was pretty sidelined considering the film's called he, Kick Ass, and he too. was a bit of a dick as well. In the yeah, first film, exactly. he was quite likable. You probably wanted him to do yeah. well and do the right thing, but in this, he's just a just a, a, a bit of yeah. He's <laughs> I think he a, acknowledges a, it in his character for you know yeah. as the film goes on, but for large portions, you just thought, does he do, do the writers realise how much of a knobhead he is? Yeah, just, you know, are they oblivious to it or is this on purpose? Yeah. So it's not really clear. <laughs> so to, interesting. Uh, to, to um, sum up Kick-Ass 2, then, it's all right. It's all right, it's all right yeah. yeah. There we are. Uh, we'll, we'll have a quick break, and then we'll be back with our recommendations for this week uh, and all that stuff that we usually do at the end. So our recommendations for the coming week, I don't think I could let this one pass. ITV2, Saturday at 3 o'clock, the Mighty Duck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to be watching Southampton play Sunderland. I'd much rather be watching The Mighty Ducks. Somebody yeah, please tweet great. me during the game and tell me what happens. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I might do a little live tweet along. I want Thursday. I want a live commentary of the Mighty Ducks on Saturday. Uh, I'm, at uh, football, I'm at a football match as well. That's annoying. Uh, yeah, I'm. Put, we're I, playing. Uh, it's me versus Owen this weekend. It's Leicester Birmingham. Yeah, not, yeah. not very uh, optimistic. <laughs> one of the most depressing derbies in football. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I'm actually recommending a documentary called The Imposter, which is on Channel Four on Thursday nights. Uh, if you don't listen to this podcast before Thursday, it would probably be on um, 4OD, I imagine. Um, it's a story yeah. of a person who, well, he's an imposter. He pretends to be a missing 14-year-old American boy, despite not being a 14-year-old American boy. Um, yeah, being French in 17, I think. <laughs> I think he's, yeah, yeah. might even yeah. be older than 17. but Yeah, he might, yeah. Um, it was in our top ten films of the year, I think, in the end uh, it, for for the Fell Critics Awards, and it was it was my third favourite film of last year. It's absolutely brilliant documentary. Yeah, very interesting. Um, James, what are you recommending for people? Um, well, I've just noticed Blackfish is actually out on DVD on Monday. Um, so anyone who's missed it in the cinema, I've only just seen it in the cinema, but it's out on Monday. So Blackfish out on Monday. But the film I'm going to recommend uh, is another one of my absolute favourites of the year, which is also released uh, on Monday, A Hijacking, or uh, in Danish, uh, Kapringen. Um It's basically the story of a Danish freighter which gets hijacked by... Somali pirates and the ensuing negotiations between the Somali pirates interpreter and the Danish CEO of the uh, freight company who decides that because it's his men he is going to take on the negotiations himself rather than have an expert do it. It's a fantastic psychological drama really really quite sparse at times it's yeah, there's it's quite emotional, but not a lot to it in a sense. It's essentially two men talking and negotiating, but it's a brilliant, brilliant film. So that's out on Monday. And on Amazon, it's only £8 as a new release. That's fantastic value. Um, so, yeah, a hijacking. Excellent. And Owen? Um, well, uh, I think our next podcast is going to be, the main review is Elysium, the Neil yeah. Bonkamp. Uh, Matt Damon, Jodie Foster film and film 4 are handily showing District 9, his previous film um, on Friday 10.55pm so I absolutely love that film uh, yeah. really good sci-fi uh, just I can't recommend that one enough either so if, you, if, you, if you've got nothing to do on a Friday night as a lot of people do it's not just me is it? Um, no, no, it's uh, good, as well. excellent uh, <laughs> uh, District 9, yeah fantastic film um, excellent um, and James what are we doing next week so yeah next week it, as Owen just said it's Elysium uh, the new uh, Matt Damon Neil Blomkamp um, uh, action sci-fi thriller pretty much the the full stop to the summer blockbuster films mm. uh, and I know to say it's under two hours long Halla fucking luya yeah. um, we've got a blockbuster that's about an hour and 45 minutes long. I, I cannot wait now. Yeah, the last um, thing I want to do is sit in a cinema with some sci-fi film that could end up being not that good when they try and round down some fucking message down my throat for two and a half hours. There you go. So, I want Matt Damon shooting shit. Yeah. 
There we go. I've heard, I've heard the message to Elysium is less subtle than it was in District 9, which also wasn't that subtle. It wasn't exactly subtle, yeah. was no, it? But, I, but I you know what? District 9, that if you wanted to ignore it, if you wanted to think, there's no mesh in this, this is just a form of bats to aliens. Um, That's a very good point, could, yeah. You could, yeah, you could, you could do. Quite easily but, do. If you knew nothing about what the message was about, you could quite easily watch that film and think there's no message in this, it's just a film about yeah. aliens. No, that's yeah. true. But part of me also thinks, considering how rich and powerful Hollywood and everything is, I, it's nice to see some left-wing polemic blockbusters out there, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. actually saying maybe the poor should rise up against the uh, the rich and overprivileged people. So yes, yeah, let's get a revolution going. I'm not going to be in the mood to see it, I don't think, after all these John Wayne films. There's uh, <laughs> lefty arseholes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn commies. <laughs> yeah. Just keep the peasants where they are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. poor Jerry. Poor Northern Jerry. Uh, is he back next week? He's back. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Back next week, I think, yeah. Uh, so, yes, that's all for this week's um, podcast. So, thanks everyone for listening and contributing. Have we got some new music playing us out? Uh, do you know what? Um, yeah, we've not got any. We're going to be changing up the podcast a bit. We're in a desperate uh, mission to improve the sound quality, but we're also going to change it up a little bit, give it a, a fresh lick of paint. Now, hopefully I've got an actual real-life band who are prepared to give us some music to use. Um, but this week, to play us out, we will have the, the music of Joycey Banachek from uh, the Football 365 Forum, who's written us a special little song in the style of the wire theme tune. So that's what's playing us out. It's um it's Bishy, uh, my mate Bishy, Joycey Banachek with uh, a little kind of bluesy ode to the failed critics. Wonderful. Enjoy. If you open this podcast, you better watch your back. This ain't no sports cast On a bullshit cricket yak If you like fail critics Just open your ear hole Carl will tell you about the movies From the internet it's Um, and you just watch this scene and it's just it's absolutely brilliant and 
it reminds me of um, Anvil, uh, one of the great rock documentaries of recent times, and at times a little bit of Spinal Tap as well, but you're not laughing at them. Um, you're laughing with them. They're having fun. And they're just, they're just fun people to be around for a start. And, but it also does actually make you think about the challenges that they might face. And like I say, not in a patronising way, but in a, they just want to play their music and get on with their lives. And they do have to go through some shit to do that. And it's, it's unfortunate. But then you'll see gigs. Um, there's footage of these gigs, like playing in real toilet venues with about 20 people watching them. But those 20 people are just really getting into the music. And you get quite a lot of their... their music, which I, I've heard bands a lot worse um, <laughs> than uh, Perty Kurikar's Name Day. Uh, there's, some, there's a few decent songs in there, actually. And it is a really heartwarming documentary. Um, brilliantly just shot. And it's one of those documentaries where... They've just found some interesting subjects and recorded them, and that's made a great documentary, and that that's great. So, I, you know, thanks again to At Duke for recommending that. What I will say though is, um, I've also seen the best documentary I've seen all year this week, and possibly one of the best films I've seen uh, of the year, and that is a new release called Blackfish. Uh, it's directed by Gabriella uh, Copperthwaite. It's ostensibly a documentary about orcas, um, otherwise known as killer whales, living in captivity. And the focus is on one particular whale that uh, in the last 20 years has killed three people. And this whale's name is Tilikum. Firstly, I, I have to, you know, I want to give a warning here. Anyone thinking of watching this film, it is profoundly disturbing and very upsetting in places. And if you've got any kind of empathy for animals, especially those mistreated in captivity, you will leave this film feeling upset, angry, and physically exhausted. It's it's less than ninety minutes long, but it's it's quite a brutal film uh, in that sense. But what's great about it? It doesn't shy away from celebrating the bond between orcas and trainers. Um, first fifteen minutes or so is testimony of former Sea World tra- trainers who talk about how much they enjoyed their job. It was the best job in the world because they genuinely had uh, a developed a bond with these intelligent and emotionally advanced creatures. Um, it got to the point where I went into this film knowing what it was about, but 15 minutes in, I was like, oh, I wish I could be a SeaWorld trainer. That looks <laughs> amazing. I'd love to ride orcas. Oh, they look so... You know, and it does draw you in, and then it just hits you. Um, it just switches almost instantly to an expose of the or- orca hunting industry. And some of the vile tactics they use to separate families... Um, to capture these these whales, um, one there's one particular interview which really got to me um, with this grizzled old vet, and he'd seen a few wars, and he said he'd done you know he'd done things, he'd killed men, and he'd seen things you know he didn't want to see again, and actually hearing him talk about how the moment that he captured uh, a young adult whale, um, and the other orcas are lined up outside the net kind of screaming uh, he said that out of everything he's seen in his life that was the worst thing he'd seen that was the thing he most regretted he'd ever been involved with which is yeah it really really hits you uh, the rest of the film looks at particular cases of people being killed or injured by orcas uh, the potential reasons for it and there's a real potent mix of expert testimony and you know eyewitnesses 
some courtroom drama and elements of corporate greed and dishonesty that keep you hooked all the way. You'll never look at SeaWorld, even if you did look at them in a neutral or positive light, you'll never look at them in the same light after after this film. It, it really, really shocked me, the the level of lies and deceit and just disregard for people's safety and animals' well-being. Um, yeah, like I say, it's the best documentary I've seen this year. One of the best films I've seen full stop. I, I can't see it not being in my top ten at the end of this year. And it's an important film that needs to be seen by as many people as possible. Changes have to be demanded by the people of these entertainment conglomerations. Very interestingly, uh, Pixar announced um, just this week, I think, that the end of Finding Dory has since been cha- has been changed since they've seen Blackfish themselves. So that's... Uh, it's quite interesting that this documentary is already having that level of change and raising the level of debate there. So I really, really recommend Blackfish. And um, the final film I do want to just very quickly talk about, because I'm genuinely pleasantly surprised. I went to see a preview of We're the Millers, which is out in cinemas this Friday on see, the 23rd. I thought the trailer for this looked quite promising. So, did, me too, mm. me too, and it, uh, and I'll I'll kind of explain about it. Well, the extended um, trailer, not the little one you're getting on TV. Yeah, not the red band trailer. Yeah, yeah, I thought the red band trailer looked quite good. Um, it's directed by Rawson Marshall Thurber, who directed Dodgeball, um, which I enjoyed. It's from the writers of Wedding Crasher and the classic American sitcom Married with Children. It stars uh, Jason Sudeikis from Saturday Night Live. Who, who's and done Bit a, Pass. Did, he, um, did you see his um? His skit he done where he was a Tottenham manager. No, I've not seen that. If you haven't seen that, it is brilliant. Just like okay, you have to watch it. I'll send you the link as soon as we finish. It's brilliant. Awesome. It's hilarious. Okay. Oh, brilliant. Um. Oh, that's good. Um. Because I I liked him in this actually. Uh, Jennifer Aniston, I've always been a big fan of. Uh, Ed Helms is in it. Will Poulter from. Uh, son of Rambo and Wild Bill, young English actor, he's in it as well, Emma Roberts and Nick Offerman as well. Now, like Steve, I saw the We're the Millers trailer, I saw it about a month ago, I think, and like Steve, you know, do you know what, it was one of those trailers, Steve probably didn't feel this, I felt a little bit ashamed of enjoying it, actually. It made me laugh. I have no shame, start- so... Yeah, good man. <laughs> uh, no, I wish I was more like that. It starred some people I liked, but do you know what, about halfway through, my inner critic, that bastard kicked in and told me oh no that looks dreadful do you know what my inner critic is a joyless pretentious dick i i, I genuinely i, I, I thought that was your am house surprised. critic so. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard <laughs> um for those who don't know it's the story of a small-time drug dealer but played by uh Sadikis, who ends up massively in debt to a drug lord played by ed helms in quite a funny cameo has to go to mexico smuggle a huge amount of pot back through the border to wipe his slate clean Obviously, he realises on his own he's guaranteed to be stopped at the border, so he hatches this plan of creating a fake family to join him. So he hires his stripper neighbour, played by Jennifer Aniston, a dorky kid who lives in his building, played by Poulter, and a sassy street kid, might be homeless, not sure, uh, played by Emma Roberts. And yeah, I really genuinely found this quite funny. I'd say it's my favourite Hollywood comedy since 21 Jump Street last year, which also surprised me in this sense. Are you, inc- are you including this is this is the ending? I am actually. I am. Yeah. All right. I, I that's, think, a, that's interesting. I think I, yeah, I genuinely, and I'll, I'll explain why I think. Um, first up, and I've already said this on Twitter. I've kind of claimed this is my uh, 
this is my description of it. Anyone else steals this, I'll, I'm coming after you. Um, I, I would describe it as a National Lampoon's vacation for whichever generation this is. Are we the Twitter generation? Are we the Facebook? I know we're not the MTV generation anymore, but you know, basically whichever generation we are, it, it, it really reminded me of the National Lampoon's Vacation films with Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo. Um, it's, it's funny. It's rude. Um, you know, there's some, there's some dirty jokes in there and some kind of off color humor and things like that. But it's also got quite a large heart and a rather sweet centre. It's got something to say about family. And that's an increasingly rare thing. And I, I genuinely found it to be quite a sweet film, in spite of the fact that Jennifer Aniston strips down to her underwear at times. Um, someone winner in anyone's book. Well, yeah, and do you know what? I, 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 I was thinking, oh, can I even say, do you know what? Jennifer Aniston still looks fantastic for her age. Um but I, then I remembered that I'm pretty sure I waxed lyrical about um, how much I fan, how much I thought that uh, Fassbender looked great in Shame. So I'm equal opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennifer Aniston looked fantastic, in this, but she's always been a really good comic actress, and she car- I, I really like it in Office Space, uh, for example. And she has done she's done some terrible films over the years. Um, the Good Girls, another film I really like. Her. I think she's a genuinely really good actress. So Dicus. Great. He steps into leading man uh, status quite admirably, I think. Um, what I will say is uh, Nick Offerman steals the show for me, though, as the family of another uh, father of another family taking the trip as well. Anyone who's seen him as Ron Swanson mm. in Parks and Recreation will know that he is awesome. He doesn't play too far off of being Ron Swanson in this, but I don't care because it meant I got to see Ron Swanson essentially in a film. You know, um, he's really good. Yeah, it's a little derivative at times. There's some broad testicular-based humour uh, in places. The plot's pretty paper-thin, to be honest. But it made me laugh. I left with a smile on my face, and I can't really say fairer than that. It's not going to be in my top ten of the year at the end of the year, but it, it was a good, enjoyable comedy that kept below the one hour 45 time as well. So another bonus there. Yeah, I liked it. Good. Uh, before we move on to, to someone else's films, I'll just go back to Orca-related film news. Yes. Uh, August Shellam. It's not a Free Willy remake, remake is that? No, no, oh. but it is Free Willy-related. August Schellenberg, okay. who played Randolph in the Free Willy films, passed away this week. Really? Yeah. yeah. How old was he? He must have been fairly young. He was. He was like the old Indian guy. He was seventy-seven. Oh, okay. He was seventy-seven. Okay. Expecting us oh. to remember the name of the main character in Bloody Free Willy, Randolph. Oh yeah, Randolph must be the the main yeah, guy, I, not I, the I, old I, Indian guy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even look, remember. Look, Free Willy brought a lot of a lot of people a lot of joy when they were younger. And I just thought it was worth mentioning, as we're already <laughs> part you know of the subject of orcas in films. Yeah, no, okay. no, that's right, no, Steve. And do you know what? I feel bad that we didn't kind of like have a little tribute. No, what? Can... Now you're having a pop at me. That whale is long dead now, so there you go. <laughs> Probably was if it was in captivity. Yeah. I just don't think I could bring myself to watch that film. I know that you said more people should, but I'm pussying out of that one. I think it's a. Re- the thing is, it's a really, really well-made documentary, and you do get to see some wonderful footage of orcas as well but I, I i wouldn't blame people for not watching it um yeah especially those where it would be a sense i suppose of preaching to the converted uh they already think that sea world are evil and mm. why would they want to but it it's it is a 
brilliantly well made um, documentary. And sometimes I, I sometimes I need to kind of pick at that wound. And you know, it, that's why I watch Question Time when there's right wing bigots on there. I some, I just need to make myself watch it and get angry. And that's kind of what I did with Blackfish. But yeah, it's 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 a genuinely brilliant documentary. Um, and, and yeah, I, yeah, probably, I just want more people to watch it. I'd probably prefer to watch it to the other film, We Are the Millers, or whatever it's called. That trailer yeah. just looks just, oh, looks awful to me. But maybe Owen's pretentious. I am pretentious. Owen, have you seen the stamp? you see the cinema trailer or just a trailer that's on TV? Cinema trailer twice. Uh, when he starts did, singing did the, you... um, that waterfall song. Waterfalls, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, out of interest, did you grow up enjoying the National Lampoon's Vacation films? No. Okay, well, then, yeah, you that'll won't like it. Then. Yeah, that'll explain everything. <laughs> <laughs> More than right. just my taste of films, yeah. yeah. Someone else is going to talk now, and it's going to be me. Whoa. Whoa. I have tried in my endless quest, it seems at the moment, to scare myself this week. I haven't managed it, I'll be honest. Still? Uh. <laughs> no, I watched three films. One I'd seen before, The Descent. Um, I watched it with a girl. I didn't see much of the film. So, but I've seen it before. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> you dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, uh. I'd throw that into the podcast. Not that I'm bragging, of course. That's a nice uh, film to be uh, making out to. That's like um, Jerry and Seinfeld with Schindler's List. She had a a limited collection. It was pretty much that of Lord of the Rings. That's three hours long. I just haven't got that much time. No, No, I can't. I'm not as young as I used to be, and even now I probably would have struggled. You'd be all over before they left Hobbiton, wouldn't you? Let's be honest. I wouldn't have got out of the Shire, no. (laughs) It would have been all over by that firework display. (laughs) Quite aptly as well. Uh, Anyway. But I did watch, on my own, both The Possession and Dark Skies. Okay. Neither had quite a desired effect on me. Um, Dark Skies got close to The Possession. I think Owen spoke about it before on here. Uh, it's based on the kind of true story of this Dibbuk's box, which is meant to be some haunted, um, possessed Jewish relic um, that somebody, somebody buys at a yard sale. And just fell a bit flat. I mean, there's a few moments that made you jump, mm. but it just seemed like the girl who got possessed was going for a bit of a goth phase to me. <laughs> and, yeah, and just... it definitely comes across that way. Um, what's the Jeffrey Dean Morgan is brilliant in it though. I think as the as the dad. Yeah, he he was very good, but I just don't think the film that kind of film. I want me want to creep me out, make me feel uneasy, and have a few jumps. I had the few jumps. Yeah. I didn't have a lot else. No, no, I, I would agree with that. I thought it was it was a bit jumpy in places, yeah. but yeah, you, you're spot on. It, it, it's it, it's all right. It's just not that scary overall. I mean, a lot a lot of films can make you jump because something unexpected happens. Some monster jumps out from around the corner. You're going to jump, but it doesn't yeah. make you feel like it doesn't. Think, it doesn't make the film scary, does it? No, I think <laughs> I think I've said this to Owen before. I'm trying to find a film that makes me not be able to sleep like Paranormal Activity did. Yeah, mm. and, I, and I'm struggling to do that at the moment. Um, you haven't seen yeah, The Conjuring I, I yet, though, have you? Yeah, I was going to say, what we said last week, find time to watch The Conjuring. It's, yeah. it's the best horror film I've seen in years. And the other the other um, film I watched, Dark Skies, 
they seem to Hollywood seem to be trying to do ghost stories with aliens now quite a bit. I mean, we've mm. had the fourth kind and a few other films like that. Um, there's one that I watched on Sky that I did watch while I after I came in and I was quite drunk, but it did have the same effect as Paranormal Activity. I can't remember the name of it for life for me. But it was one of these found footage ones where sort of family got abducted by aliens during sort of like um, a family gathering. And it quite uh, fire in, no, not fire in the sky. That's not that's not the, uh, no, that's uh, what um, abduction in something county. Is that is that what it's called? I can't remember. I can't remember the name of it for the life of me. It's, I'm yeah. sure it's the something tapes. But I might be. Uh, but anyway, right. Okay. But anyway, this film was um, Dark Skies, um, and it's about a family that um, are being pestered, harassed by aliens, and um, one of the children becomes abducted. That was that was more creepy than the possession. Um, mm. I found the, the fact you know the aliens not seeing them for quite a while, but knowing they were there quite correct. Definitely had more of an effect than the possession did. Um, the end, I think the end killed it for me though. Without yeah, giving it, too much away to people who haven't seen it, I think the end kind of killed any anything that it built up. The end just kind of knocked it on the head. That's fair. That tends to be the problem with most modern horror films in my experience. I think okay, not most. No, that's uh, Most of the ones I've seen. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying they're all yeah. like that. Maybe I'm just picking bad ones. Like Sinister, for example, last year, I really enjoyed up until about halfway through, and that just fell to bits for me. And you said last week that Insidious was a little bit like that as well. Yeah, it just got to is, the point is, where it went silly. Is really. there a problem where is that a kind of is that a trend or yeah, am I, I mean, being that, a little that, bit unfair? I think that's fair with most horror films. Most of it is. Is is towards making it in you know the atmosphere quite jumpy and uh, particularly modern horrors that aren't slashers you know they're all about trying to have this spooky atmosphere to them and then they don't really have a way to end the film in a, any convincing well, I suppose, manner. So I suppose, I suppose as well the problem is how do they end it? They can go three ways. They can go set it up for a sequel, happy ending, or you know miserable, dark, yeah. horrible ending. And he's trying to find the right balance, and then with the tone of the whole film overall. Yeah, that's right. I will want to say the, the the biggest positive in Dark Skies though is J.K. Simmons' role as the uh, alien expert. He adds a touch of class to that film, I think. Yeah. When they go to yeah, his flat, he, he's quite an interesting character that, mm. would, um, that could have done with maybe a bit more time on. I would, I would, if they made a spin-off, I would love to see, you know, or a sequel or whatever, just his role, you know, his his mm. history or what he does now and stuff. I think that he was the most interesting thing about that film because the family were a little bit annoying. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. All right, Owen, what have you watched this week then? Um, well, last week I sort of confessed that I'm becoming a bit more of a John Wayne fan, not just like his westerns but I've, I've watched quite a few of his films this week I've had a week off work so that basically meant I've watched lots of films especially with the new surround sound system I've got so I've been just playing with that all the time um, but I bought a Blu-ray of the original True Grit from 1969 and um, it's it's brilliant I think you know I've never really been a fan of westerns I think that's fair we, I've made that point on the podcast yeah. quite a few times I just don't see how they're culturally relevant to anybody anymore 
Um, but True Grit has kind of... Well, it, it started with Rio Bravo. I watched Rio Bravo mm. um, a couple of days before it. And um, that made me think, well, maybe maybe I am wrong. Maybe James is right. Maybe it's something that's wrong with my head and it's not actually a problem with Westerns in general. And then as I've watched a few more John Wayne films, um, the turning point or the tipping point, I guess, was True Grit because it's made me think, okay... There are there are really good westerns out there, and it doesn't matter that it's an old western. It's not a spaghetti western. It's you know it's not a contemporary western. It's not a modern western. It's just a standard U.S. marshal going into the uh, Indian territory, as they call it, um, to find a man who murdered the father of this girl and bring him to justice. It's a western in every every sense, and it is brilliant. It is just. Fantastic. I think John Wayne plays um, plays Rooster Cogburn just fantastically well. He's utterly believable as this tough, um, notoriously tough U.S. Marshal. Um, he's a bit of a drunkard and he, he has to be coerced into helping uh, the young girl in the story. He'll come on to in a minute anyway. But he he's just fantastic in this film. Probably the best performance from him I've seen. I know he ends up later in his career anyway. This is one of his later films where he ends up just playing various incarnations of his John Wayne character, you know. I don't think mm. that's necessarily a bad thing. I think for some, you know, for some um, actors, you take Tom Cruise, he just basically plays different versions of Tom Cruise in films now. It's happened yeah. to lots of other actors. They've got a, 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 a system that works and they stick with it, and it's fine, because I quite... Quite often it's... Sorry, Owen. Quite yeah, often, it's the real um, it's the real movie stars that are like that, isn't it? Yeah, that's you right. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Harrison Ford's and uh, yeah, like you say, Tom Cruise is another one. And, uh, um, Arnie, you know, Arnie, Bruce Willis to an extent as well. Yeah. Um, it, and the fact is that the reason it happens is because people go and see that people person, like and exactly. the money men go right. Well, we'll make another film, but I want you to be like that. Yeah. because I want people to come and see it. And do you know what? If charisma can get you so far, uh, mm-hmm. and John Wayne is a very charismatic actor. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And uh, like I say, this is the best thing I've seen him in, and the best that wow. he's been in anything I've seen him in. And I've seen, you know, I do like some John Wayne films. The Searchers is good. Um, as I mentioned, Rio Bravo, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, he's, he's brilliant in as well. But this is this is the, the turning point for me now. I've, I've actually started to watch some more John Wayne films that I haven't seen before, as well as rewatching some of those I've written off initially, like Stagecoach and stuff. So, I was going to say, have you seen Stagecoach yet? Yeah, I'm planning to. I've oh, seen yeah. it. I watched it uh, yesterday before I went to see. Yeah, um, okay. I also watched The Conqueror, which is absolutely his worst film. Um, right. John Wayne as Genghis Khan is a bit odd. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, as a stagecoach, I didn't like it much the first time. I, mean, I found it a little bit boring. I didn't really get what the fuss was about. It looked quite good for an old Western, mm. but it was John Ford, so, you know, you kind of expect that with him. Yeah. Um, but I rewatched it again, and it's better than I remembered it, but I'm yeah. still not convinced that's the best Western I've seen. Um, but anyway, yeah. Oh no, certainly not my favourite. But no, yeah. it, it it's one of those seminal ones that influenced others and kind of made other things possible. Yeah, yeah. that's right. But one thing that was like completely took me by surprise with True Grit, uh, which I was not expecting at all, was the um, Kim Darby plays um, the young girl in it. Who's this? She's her father's been murdered. She goes to the U.S. Marshal, which is 
uh, Rooster Cogburn, um, to get justice. And she is just a fantastic female character. Probably the most well-written female character I think I've seen in any Western. She's not at all, um, you know, falling over any men. She's uh, she doesn't get pushed around. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't wear skirts and has to work in the hotel and, you know, all that kind of typical stereotypical mm. female character. She's just a, she's stubborn. Um, she might be slightly naive, I think, but she's she's also really honest and really strong-willed, and she gets what she wants in the end without being, um, you know, without nefarious means. She just she's just really strong character. Um, and it, a thought occurred to me that whilst I was watching it, that if I if I ever had a daughter, that's exactly the kind of character I'd want her to see in films. Never mind the fact it's a, you know it's a film from about fifty years ago. Mm. Forget that. It, 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 she's just a fantastic female, um, iconic character. I think, um, and it's a shame that it stands out fifty years after it's released as as being that because um, you don't really see characters like her. Never mind back then, but still, even now, I think. For such a young mm. girl, she's yeah, she's she's a really um, well-written character. Um, but yeah, I I have seen so yeah, I really like the original. I've not seen the Coen Brothers remake yet, but I think Steve mentioned earlier um, before we started recording that he'd seen it. So yeah, the, I, the, I, 2000, the 2010 one with um, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I mean, one of the things about True Grit was that it was quite dark, but it's still very much a PG film. What's the remake like? Do they just add lots of violence to it? Um, I can't. It's Take been a while since I've seen. It's been a, it's been a while since I've seen it. I remember it being it's starting quite slowly, but by the end of it, I thought it was an excellent film. Um, it was. I can't remember what you know um, rating it was, mm. but it, it it does it was more violent than a PG. Um, yeah. Like you say, the the girl in it is a strongly written and well written character. Uh, the Jeff Bridges character is also very good, but I can't. It's been a little couple of years since I've seen it, sure. but I do remember it being very, very good. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it now. Actually, I'm gonna. Um, I'll probably end up reviewing it when I actually watch it. I've got it on order from Amazon, so as soon as it comes through, I'll I'll be watching that because um, I really enjoyed it. But I also, I haven't seen that many Coen Brothers films anyway. I watched a couple this week. I watched um, uh, Raising Arizona, which I mentioned on Twitter. I was really disappointed by. I didn't Guess think how. it was. <laughs> I just didn't think <laughs> it was funny. I th- that was the main criticism was that I just found it a bit too slapstick sometimes. Um, just people walking into door frames or getting hurt by different things, and th- even the characters in it really annoyed me. But I'm not going to go on about it too much because I know that you liked it, James. So I'll be a bit um, courteous and <laughs> move swiftly on to the Coen Brothers film that I did watch this week that I really really liked which was The Big Lebowski is that the first time you've seen it the first time I've seen it okay Um, it's it's brilliant Um, the the site that I use to record film reviews letterboxd.com recently voted it into the top five of its films of the 90s I don't know if it's quite as good as things like Pulp Fiction or um, Goodfellas or anything like that, but it, it's definitely one of the funniest films um, of the decade, I think. Um, yeah, it, it, it's really, really funny. Jeff uh, Jeff Lebowski, the basic plot is that Jeff Lebowski is also called um, the dude, referred to as the dude, or his dudeness, or uh, Duda, or El Duderino. <laughs> He's uh, played by Jeff Bridges, who's 
also in True Grit remake. Um, it basically uh, gets mistaken at the very start of the film for another rich man who's, well, he's not rich in this, but he gets mistaken for a rich man by some uh, heavies and they piss on his carpet. They ruin his rug. So he decides he's going to find this rich man from the advice of his friends and he's going to make him buy him a new rug. He thinks it's only fair. Uh, he got, when he finds the other Lebowski, who he's been mistaken for, uh, it turns out he's not a very nice or very generous man uh, at all, really. And he ends up getting mixed up in a plot um, to find the big Lebowski's kidnapped wife. And, OK, it's a, bit, it's a simple crime comedy caper uh, at the heart of it, but I think it's a really well-written comedy. Comedy. Some of the, some of the gags in it are brilliant. Um, and the support cast in it are all good as well. John Goodman is fantastic. Uh, Steve Buscemi's little role this is pretty good, as is Philip Seymour Hoffman and Dave Huddleston and Julianne Moore and John Turturro. They're all, they all provide lots of memorable laughs, I think. Every one of their roles, including the dude, who's the sort of central character and how everything fits around, they all work on screen really well together. Um, it doesn't drag at any point. It's just constantly moving. And, it, yeah, I think it's it's just a, a great cast, some great characters, and, and just a really, really funny film. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm going to very quickly, very quickly, because I know I've been rambling on for ages now, mention another film I watched this week, which was probably my favourite film that I watched all week, uh, was Adaptation, um, which I've been looking forward to watching for a long time. It's very complicated for me to try and describe. Mm. I'm going to try and do it as simply as I can. Uh, okay, you know Charlie Kaufman? Kaufman the, yeah. He's a screenwriter. He was given the task of adapting uh, a non-fiction book called The Orchid Thief. Uh, which this film has a character called Charlie Kaufman adapting a non-fiction book called The Orchid Thief. So Nick Cage plays Charlie Kaufman adapting the book. Um, He also plays Charlie Kaufman's twin brother called Donald. So you've got two cages for the price of one in this film. Nice. Yeah, okay. Obviously, in real life, Charlie Kaufman doesn't have a twin brother, it's fictional, which is partly where the film goes a little bit weird. So, I mean, it starts off quite weird anyway, and it's got a very strange premise to the start of it. It it turned out, I mean, the way it came about was that Charlie Kaufman was, he had writer's block, literally had writer's block. So he he couldn't figure out a way to adapt this non-fiction story about this guy who finds flowers. Um... So he decided to make the film about him adapting the film, uh, adapting the book for a film. And it comes out that his twin brother basically plays his nagging conscience who's saying, um, you know, what you should do is this. And all the the standard techniques for adapting stuff are you put in like uh, you could have a car chase, you have a. Uh, you could have it, make it a thriller and have a detective in it who's you know got a bit of a weird gimmick, or you've got serial killers and stuff. And he's just constantly rebuffing him, saying, you know, it's that's not what you do. He's rejecting all these uh, standard methods. He wants to make this intellectual, intelligent film about flowers, and he's got no idea how to do it. So they're constantly sort of bickering, I suppose. Although Donald mm. is the friendly, uh, easygoing twin. And in the end, what happens is. 
Um, well, not in the end. I mean, it's part of the plot is that he, as he generally kind of accepts outside advice uh, as Charlie, the film itself starts to mould around the advice that he's been given. So it's it's really, I mean, the, the screenplay, the first thing I did after watching it was I went onto IMDb and checked to make sure that Kaufman got an Oscar for the screenplay for this, because it is definitely deserving of it. It did mm. receive it, and I'm so glad because it's just so clever. I've got no idea how someone would even go about attempting to write a script like that. Never mind, you know, turning it into a, a intelligible film that you can understand and follow, and it's quite simple. I mean, it's directed by uh, Spike Jonze, uh, who the only other film of his I've seen is Where the Wild Things Are, which was just crap. I really just thought that was yeah. awful. Um, so I wasn't... Uh, this is partly why I ended up... Kept, kept, well, I kept putting off that adaptation um, because of the director. But he does just a fantastic job with this. In fact, they all do. Meryl Streep in it as well is, is fantastic. Chris Cooper won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for his role. Um, Nick Cage got an, an Oscar nomination for his role as well. And thoroughly deserved because he's... Is awesome in this, just as the new, both as the neurotic Charlie Kaufman, who's you know, eaten away by his own paranoia and sense of, you know, his lack of confidence and stuff, and as Donald, he's just, he's just great in both roles, very different roles, both, mm. both played really well. I was just really impressed by it, and um, if anyone else has put off watching it for any other reason, um, then don't make the same mistake I did and, and wait ages before doing it. It's, it's well worth a watch. It's, it's brilliant. Really can't recommend adaptation enough. Excellent. Mm. I, 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 it's one I really keep meaning to watch because I love um, being John Malkovich. Um, okay. And I also really enjoyed Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind as well. So I, I, I like Charlie Kaufman scripts. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea why I haven't watched it. Yet. And I love Nick Cage. That I literally no idea why I've not seen this film <laughs> yet. So. Yeah, I'm going to rectify that. Yeah, get on it. It's, I'm actually I'm positive you would love adaptation. It's got everything that ticks all the boxes that, from all the yeah. films you've described that I know that you would love. So yeah, yeah. If we if we ever have another competition where you know like last year we had the Oscar nominations yeah. and I, I ended up winning and picking. Yeah. Uh, uh, what did I end up picking? God, what did you make us watch? Mary and Max, I think. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, next year it's going to be adaptation, I think. Yeah. Even if everybody's watched could, it again. Unless you could, oh, right, you're going to make <laughs> They would all again. rewatch oh, it, yeah. yeah. Okay, I think that wraps up what we've been watching. And next week I've got our main review of Kick-Ass 2. This week's main review is Kick-Ass 2. Um, I've not seen it. The other two have. Uh, Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl are back fighting crime, um, this time joined by Jim Carrey. Here is a clip. Yeah, so that was uh, Christopher Mintz-Plass as oh, uh, the motherfucker. Um, <laughs> no, uh, the, mo- the mother flipper. It's a family podcast. 
So, oh yeah, it's definitely a family. <laughs> <flannelly. laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, Kick-Ass 2. So, uh, the... What, well, what do you say about it, Owen? Well, um, after Jerry ranted weeks ago about Jim Carrey's non-involvement in the promotion of the film, are we going to bother with that again? Uh, no, let's not. Okay. All I would say... All I would say about it, actually, is... Not that I agree with Jim Carrey, but having seen the film, I understand his point a little more now. Um, because what I would... For me, the vi- the level of gun violence in this film was a lot higher than my recollections of Kickass. Well, and well, I I don't know about I, that. It was le- okay, maybe it, it was less cartoonish in play. I, I thought so I thought some of the gun violence in this film was more realistic than Kickass. There's a couple of scenes where people are just getting just completely gunned down whereas oh that that's just some that's just something else there were a few pretty there were a few scenes which were basically people being gunned down in cold blood and i i don't remember ever getting that feeling from the first film that the first film always felt a little bit more like a comic book than this film yeah that's True. I, this this film does feel a little bit different. Um, but I think it, the Kick-Ass 2, the comic, uh, mm. I didn't read it because I didn't really enjoy Kick-Ass 1, yeah. the comic. Um, the film is brilliant. I really enjoyed the film, but the comic, yeah, yeah I, I wasn't that keen on that, so I didn't bother with the second one. But in that, the, the violence and the swearing and everything is supposed to just have been ramped up to maximum, and it leaves a lot of the story... Um, uh, on the wayside, as it is, it's yeah. sort of, it just doesn't. It's more about the violence. So when the, when yeah. they've adapted this film, it doesn't really surprise me that it, it's more violent. I think it is more violent. The gun violence, mm. I didn't really notice as being particularly more, uh, uh, you know, worse or heavier than than in the previous. Mm. I mean, the, in 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 the first film, the finale to that is just all guns and it's all rockets. But your your point about it being more cartoonish or more comic book, yeah. like. Is a is a fair point actually. Um, in this, they do just make it about you know someone shooting another person with a gun, rather yeah. than to making it like a film with a person shooting another person with okay. a gun. Do, do you know what the first one reminded me a little bit of the Matrix at times as well, especially kind of like towards that. You know, there was an element. Well, this it was hyper real, whereas there's a few scenes in Kickass which are people basically. In quite a quiet scene, get point blank shot in the in the face, mm. you know, and it and it's just it just felt a little bit grittier and a little bit nastier. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing on its own. It's just for me, parts of the film were just uh, they were tonally all over the place at times, and sometimes it was it reminded me of the first film, um, and especially. Uh, in a lot of uh, Christopher Mintz Plastic scenes, uh, you know, no longer the Red Mist, uh, in his new super villain persona, that that's where the film worked quite well for me. Um, mm. Was in a lot of his scenes, um, where the film didn't work for me, and I think it's a shame because I think Chloe Grace Moretz as Hit Girl is brilliant in this film. One of the best things about this film, as she was in the previous film, but her kind of teenage angst. Mean Girls subplot was 
you could tell was written by a middle-aged man. <laughs> it was, I, it just, it just dragged. And yeah. I think this is, it, for me, what what I think this film was missing was Jane Goldman and Matthew Vaughan, mm. who knew obviously in Kickass. And again, I I have read the original Kickass comic, and like you, I've not bothered to read the second one because it didn't really grab me hugely. But I felt that they knew what to cut out of the comic in the first film. And Jeff Wadlow, who's written and directed this, has stuck more faithfully to Mark Miller's work and potentially to its detriment. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the that's the issue, isn't it? With the first one, uh, with the, the comic, the, when the comic was coming out, I was quite excited about it. Mm. But some people just seem to hate Mark Miller just because he, mm. he just makes comic books that will be turned into films eventually anyway. That's yeah. basically why he writes comic books nowadays. Yeah. I haven't got a problem with that. Some of them that he writes are, are done really well. Kick-Ass was quite exciting. It was The story was going to be what would happen in real life if you had a kid who dressed up in um, a superhero costume and went out trying to fight crime. And the answer was, well, he'd get stabbed, he would get beaten up by muggers, and he would be hospitalised. That's the basic premise to the comic. As it went on, you probably recognise the same thing, James, if you've read it. It just got more Stop and more... Mm. It got more and more silly and ridiculous, and it just lost <laughs> its point. Oh, sorry, Owen. Yeah. So I've got, I'm getting some weird and feedback me. there. Did you hear that, Steve? No. Oh. That's strange. Should I, where should I... Okay. Um, just, can you remember roughly where you were? Sorry, Owen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just go again. So, yeah. in, so in the comic, it's more... Um, you know, realistic. And in, in the film, they go down a different way with... Uh, well, I suppose the comic, it starts off being quite realistic and then it gets just stupid. It just gets ridiculous and it loses the focus of what it's supposed to be about and it ends up just being another comic book about crime boss and some guy who tries to stop him. The film, it, from the very start, doesn't ever try to portray it as what would happen in real life if this happens? From the start, you're aware that this is a film where um, the people are aware that what would happen would be ridiculous and stupid, and mm. they play on it. It, it. It's very self-aware in that sense. Kick-Ass 2, it kind of doesn't even bother trying to acknowledge the, the point of the first film, which was people don't dress as superheroes because they get yeah. their asses kicked. In this, it's, oh yeah, Kick-Ass inspired lots of people to dress as superheroes. You know, they actually go around patrolling the streets and everybody loves them. They get high fives as they walk down the street. They get hot dogs from people. No, actually. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not what would happen. And to, to be fair, I don't think there is much of a point to, to Kick-Ass 2 other than to be a bit of a cash-in. And yeah. I, it's no, a decent no, I totally film. agree. It's a decent film. I enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining at times. Some of it annoyed me a little bit, but some of it I thought was really good. Um, but it's pointless. It literally is a pointless sequel. There's, there's nothing yeah. that it does that you think, well, that was worth watching for. No, no. I, yeah, I, I'm sad to agree. It, it did just feel like... A, a lot of people going through the motions, and and I'll be honest, I wasn't I wasn't disappointed. But Jim Carrey's performance was fine, uh, and it was interesting to see him be slightly different. But for me, that both you know literally and figuratively, the ghost of Nick Cage's Big Daddy hangs mm. 
large over this film. Um, there's a number of times they literally just, sh- you know, close up, sh- still shot on his um, old uniform, which Hit Girl has got in a kind of, you know, down mm. in her shrine. Um, it really missed, for me, something like that. Um, it it felt a bit more teen movie than the last one, which is weird because the last one was clearly you know very uh, a youth orientated film, but um, it 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 missed that kind of that spark of magic because uh, I love Nick Cage's performance in the first uh, Kick Ass. It, it's just brilliant, bizarre, and eccentric yeah. performance, uh, and I, I do think this film missed something like that. It missed that kind of that. That, that heart, in a sense, as well, because you know that that was a, a doting father figure mm. in that first one, and it kind of missed that a little bit. And the the hit girl and her adoptive dad's relationship, again, that just felt a little bit by numbers. Too much of it felt just convenient script writing rather than any real wit or emotion. Like I say, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of Matthew Vaughan, a big fan of Jane Goldman's work, and I I really think this missed them being there i'm not sure what they would have done different i don't know what they would have done differently because obviously matthew vaughan was still producing it um but i can't help thinking it would have been better if they'd been involved yeah i I agree with that i think um just going back to a point you made as well about it being like a by the numbers team film it don't get me wrong hit girl is the best thing in it again um she's she's a very interesting character she's always has she always has been an interesting character mm. and um played brilliantly i mean the best performance again i think in the last film on a par with nick cage but in this chloe yeah. grace Moretz, she she just steals it every time she's on screen yeah. so even when the the you know the by the numbers coming of age type story mm. in dealing with stuff like um noticing boys for the first time or you know trying to fit in with a new crowd or a yeah. new school it, it, it is pretty by the numbers but she makes it watchable i think she's good in it yeah no i, I totally agree with you there i thought that i thought she she has a few good lines um yeah. but she's got a brilliant attitude mm. um mm-hmm. and yeah it's just everything else around her felt like it was from a u.s team sitcom That's that was right, that yeah. was my problem with it the, but the, no she's brilliant the, the, the problem i had with her character was there was one point in the film i don't think i'm spoiling it by saying this as mm. we've just described it as a by the numbers teen coming of age drama yeah. is when she's confronting her peers and yeah i think they start off making it out like it's going to be an actually you know quite a quite a lot of thought has been put into this speech that she's making they're going to make it actually mean something and it's going to have a yeah. point and then no it's just toilet humor actually yeah that really annoyed me and i'm glad you picked up on that as well there's a weird bit where she just well the bit before that how she helped out someone by giving them money yeah Um, what was that about what what was the message there and then you've got a scene that basically went oh you remember that scene that everyone loved in bridesmaids it's like no i didn't love that i really liked bridesmaids and that was by far the worst scene where they're all vomiting and shitting on the toilet the worst bit in bridesmaids because it's crap humor uh oh we're gonna do something like that are we oh yeah i mean it it completely undermines everything that her character's gone through in the film as well exactly no payoff i think that's why i'm so annoyed about that mean girls section is that there wasn't even a payoff for it um 
yeah, so that, so that that really and that that really did feel like it was written by a middle aged man who has no idea how teenage girls have to survive through hell through high school. No, kind of it, thing. it kind of had the the feeling of a man who's never encountered bullying of any kind in any form yeah. at any point in his life, and yeah. just has no idea that you know. Well, you don't. That's not how you tell people how to deal with it. You don't tell them. Yeah. You don't tell your audience that if you're being bullied then all you need to do is pay off someone else and you can just go and do what Hit Girl does. It's just... It's completely... It, and it makes no sense it either. No. It's, it's just and it wasn't really funny. Bad. And it just... Yeah. 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 Although, um, the, my screening cracked up at that. I, I, really? I, I was at a very full screening. Um, and, yeah. Do you know what? It's one of the worst cinema crowds I've been in all year as well. Really? Um, just laughing don't know if it's per- inappropriate. Just, yeah, and talking all the way through it. It's just really bad behave, bad cinema etiquette. Yeah. It's the worst behaved um, cinema crowd I've seen all year. And I've been in a few dodgy ones, but it, it was poor. It was getting a, it attracted a certain type. Right. <laughs> I, went, I went on, uh, well, I went yesterday, Monday evening, and mm. it was, it wasn't uh, empty, but, you know, there were a few people yeah. in there, but it was quieter, and I got to sit sort of by myself, really. So I was, it wasn't yeah. too bad for me, but imagine if, when did you go to see it? Was it on a... a Sunday night. A Sunday night, yeah. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. After Blackfish. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But yeah, so I think we, we uh, to me, uh, it's pretty, oh, to me it's indicative of this whole summer block, but it was, <laughs> it was all right. Yeah, you know, it wasn't great. <laughs> it, was, it, it was all right. I I yeah. did enjoy it. I mean, I've complained a little bit about it, but I, you know, I was happy enough watching so, some of the plot developments. You know, forming this cruddy little Justice League type yeah. team in a basement. <laughs> it was quite good. I did. Yeah. I did like Jim Carrey's character. I wanted to see more of him in the film, actually, and more. Yeah. Um, more backstory. I, he had quite an interesting yeah. story to him. He, did. he didn't really get any of that. I, I, I was just really surprised by how understated he was as well, actually. I was yeah. expecting a little bit more mania. Uh, I'm not saying... Yeah, I, I quite like what he did. Um, but I was... I don't... I just... I think I wanted a little bit more. Uh, yeah. In a number of ways, yeah. And I did I did find the names that the motherfucker was... Com- uh, the mother flipper, sorry, Steve. The mother yeah. was coming up with, like, Mother Russia was... <laughs> a funny yeah. Way, and he was told you can't have a motherfucker and a mother Russia on the same team. Just, fuck yeah, you, it's the, my team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, he's, he's small and he kills. We call him the tuba. <laughs> and I was just... Yeah, I, I think Christopher Mintz-Plast did, did really well, actually, because his character is pretty one note. Yes. Uh, there's not a huge amount of emotional development or anything yeah. like that going on there. And um, it is the, the best, I'm not going to say it because it will ruin it, but he, he mm. comes up with the best name for a supervillain team I think I've ever heard. Yeah. Of. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And it was kind of almost worth going <laughs> to yeah. just hear that spoken aloud in a scene. But yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And those bits, that's where a lot of the humour came in as well. Yeah. What I will say is Kickass himself Pretty, he was pretty sidelined considering the film's called he, Kickass, and he too. was a bit of a dick as well. In the yeah, first film, exactly. he was quite likable. You probably wanted him to do yeah. well and do the right thing, but in this, he's just a just a, a, a bit of yeah. He's <laughs> I think he a, acknowledges but, it in his character for you know yeah. as the film goes on, but for large portions, you just thought, does he do, do the writers realise how much of a knobhead he is? Yeah, just, you know, are they oblivious to it or is this on purpose? Yeah. So it's not really clear. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, 
to um, sum up Kick-Ass 2 then, it's alright. It's alright, right, yeah. yeah. There we are. Uh, we'll, we'll have a quick break and then we'll be back with our recommendations for this week uh, and all that stuff that we usually do at the end. So our recommendations for the coming week, I don't think I could let this one pass. ITV2, Saturday at 3 o'clock, The Mighty Duck. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to be watching Southampton play Sunderland. I'd much rather be watching The Mighty Ducks. Somebody please tweet me during the game and tell me what happens. Uh, Yeah, I might do a little live tweet along. I I want a live commentary of The Mighty Ducks on Saturday. Uh, I'm, at uh, football, I'm at a football match as well. That's annoying. Uh, yeah, I'm put, oh, we're playing. Uh, it's me versus Owen this weekend. It's Leicester Birmingham. Yeah, not, yeah. I'm not very uh, optimistic. <laughs> one of the most depressing derbies in football. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I'm actually recommending a documentary called The Impostor, which is on Channel Four on Thursday night. Uh, if you don't listen to this podcast before Thursday, it would probably be on um, 4OD. I imagine. Um, it's a story yeah. of a person who, well, he's an imposter. He pretends to be a missing 14-year-old American boy, despite not being a 14-year-old American boy. Um, yeah, being French in 17, I think. Pretending to be, yeah. yeah. Might even yeah. be older than 17, but... Yeah, it might, yeah. Um, it was in our top 10 films of the year, I think, in the end. Uh it, for for the Fell Critics Awards, and it was it was my third favorite film of last year. It's absolutely brilliant documentary. Yeah, very interesting. Um, James, what are you recommending for people? Um, well, I've just noticed Blackfish is actually out on DVD on Monday. Um, so anyone who's missed it in the cinema, I've only just seen it in the cinema, but it's out on Monday. So Blackfish out on Monday. But the film I'm going to recommend. Uh, is another one of my absolute favourites of the year, which is also released uh, on Monday, A Hijacking, or uh, in Danish, uh, Kapringen. Um, It's basically the story of a Danish freighter which gets hijacked by uh, Somali pirates and the ensuing negotiations between the Somali pirates' interpreter and the Danish CEO of the... uh, freight company who decides that because it's his men he is going to take on the negotiations himself rather than have an expert do it it's a fantastic psychological drama really really quite sparse at times it's yeah there's it's quite emotional but not a lot to it in a sense it's essentially two men talking and negotiating but it's a brilliant brilliant film so that's out on monday and on amazon it's only eight pound as a new release that's fantastic value um so yeah a hijacking excellent and owen um well uh, i think our next podcast is going to be the main review is elysium the neil yeah. Bonkamp, uh matt damon jodie foster film and film four are handily showing district nine his previous film um, on Friday, 10.55pm. So, I absolutely love that film. Uh, yeah. Really good sci-fi. Uh, just, I can't recommend that one enough either. So, if, you, if, you, if you've got nothing to do on a Friday night, as a lot of people do, oh, it's not just me, is it? Um, no, no, it's uh, me good. as well. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> uh, District 9, yeah, fantastic film. Um, excellent. 
Um, and James, what are we doing next week? So yeah, next week, it, as I just said, it's Elysium, uh, the new uh, Matt Damon, Neil Blomkamp um, uh, action sci-fi thriller. Pretty much the the full stop to the summer blockbuster films. Mm. Uh, and I know to say it's under two hours long. Halla fucking luya. Yeah. Um, we've got a blockbuster that's about an hour and 45 minutes long. I, I cannot wait now. Yeah, the last um, thing I want to do is sit in a cinema with some sci-fi film that could end up being not that good when they try and ram down some fucking message down my throat for two and a half hours. There you go. So, I want Matt Damon shooting shit. Yeah. There we go. I've heard, I've heard the message to Elysium is less subtle than it was in District 9, which also wasn't that subtle. It wasn't exactly subtle, yeah. was no, it? But, I, but I you know what? District 9, if you wanted to ignore it, if you wanted to think there's no message in this, this is just a film about some aliens. Um... That's a very good point, could, yeah. You could, yeah, you could, you do. could quite easily but, do. If you knew nothing about what the message was about, you could quite easily watch that film and think there's no message in this, it's just a film about yeah. aliens. No, that's yeah. true. But part of me also thinks, considering how rich and powerful Hollywood and everything is, I, it's nice to see some left-wing polemic blockbusters out there, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. actually saying maybe the poor should rise up against the uh, the rich and overprivileged people. So yeah, sod it, let's get a revolution going. I'm not going to be in the mood to see it, I don't think, after all these John Wayne films. Those uh, <laughs> lefty arseholes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn commies. Yeah. Just keep the peasants where they are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. poor Jerry. Poor Northern Jerry. <laughs> uh, is he back next week? He's back next oh, week, I think, yeah. It. Uh, so yes, that's all for this week's um, podcast. So thanks everyone for listening and contributing. Have we got some new music playing us out? Uh, do you know what? Um, yeah, we've not got any... We're going to be changing up the podcast a bit. We're in a desperate uh, mission to improve the sound quality, but we're also going to change it up a little bit, give it a, a fresh lick of paint. Now, hopefully I've got an actual real-life band who are prepared to give us some music to use. Um, but this week... To play us out, we will have the, the music of Joycey Banachek from uh, the Football 365 Forum, who's written us a special little song in the style of the Wire theme tune. So that's what's playing us out. It's um, it's Bishy, uh, my mate Bishy, Joycey Banachek, with uh, a little kind of bluesy ode to the failed critics. Wonderful. Enjoy. You better watch your back This ain't no sportscast On a bullshit cricket yak If you like fail critics Just open your ear hole Carl will tell you about the movies From the internet it's told